2: Fast talk. Street talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid talk. Hard talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham.
1: On the app. On your smart speaker. Talk radio and talk TV.
3: Good morning and welcome to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. It's Friday morning, the sky is blue, the sun is out, spring is definitely in the air. It's a great day for chopping down loads of trees and making way for some more cycle lanes, that's what I say. Uh, I'm pleased to bring you the news that uh, the leader of Plymouth Council, who we reported on just the other day, uh, who ordered the cutting down and the complete laying to waste of an entire sort of green space uh, in Plymouth, has decided he's going to step down from the position of running the council uh, and from the position of giving the executive order to cut all the hundreds of trees down, despite local protests, despite the people saying we don't want this to happen, despite the fact that it's incredibly ungreen to do so. Anyway, we'll bring you more on that. Uh, Richard Bingley is his name. Uh, £12 million is the amount they're spending on regeneration. First stage of regeneration, cut down all the trees. I mean, for God's sake, what an absolutely ludicrous idea. Richard Tyson's here. Uh, we're going to find out why so many places around the country are doing this, we'll also tell you where the best place in the country is to live, but we will also tell you why Sir Keir Starmer uh, and his latest kind of tilt at the law and order processes of this country is completely and utterly unfounded, completely and utterly baseless and completely and utterly ludicrous. He's painting himself as some kind of modern day Batman, some kind of caped crusader who's going to save us all from serious crime. Because he used to be the director of public prosecutions. Well, I'm sorry. His record speaks for itself. His record would suggest that he is nothing like that Cape crusader. Uh, he's more like the Joker, to be honest. 0344 499 1000. We will also talk as well uh, about the interest rates. We'll also talk about the Belfast framework. We will also talk about the grilling of Boris Johnson and much else besides. 0344 4991000. We're going to take a little trip across the channel to see why uh, the French are getting so worked up about Emmanuel Macron. We'll talk to Mike Sullivan, the Crime Minister of the Sun, as well. We'll get his view uh, on what's going on with Keir Starmer and what also uh, is planned uh, with the police force as well in this country. Gareth A. Davis joins us a bit later on uh, to talk about the most unwoke sport of all. and uh, That is, of course, uh, the situation uh, with boxing. Which is still remarkably unwoke. We'll talk about that. Plus, Harry Kane, uh, the greatest footballer ever? I don't think so. Uh, I'm just going to say it. Uh, he has no business being even spoken about in the same breath as Jimmy Greaves. 0344 499 1000 is the number. Let's get it on. Welcome to Friday. Uh, it's been another remarkable week, I have to say, in the Independent Republic of Mike Graham. Incredible news uh, stories breaking, uh, incredible developments happening all over the place. Um, let's talk right now to Richard Tice, uh, the man of the moment. We forgot
4: also to mention that you managed to relaunch the Reform Party at the beginning of the week. It was good, so long ago. Good morning, uh, Mike. What a week it has I been. I know, that's incredible. right. It feels like, feels like a month since uh, Monday when, that's right, I had a press conference welcoming mm. uh, the band getting back together with a, uh, a number of, former Brexit party MEPs yeah. led by the likes of uh, Anne Dickerman and yeah. Ben Habib uh, coming back because we're we're standing up for Britain mm. and uh, the timing in terms mm. of this week the importance of course of uh, the Windsor framework yeah. assessments the DUP quite rightly uh, in 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 our view rejecting the Windsor framework uh, the ERG likewise because surprise surprise it turns out that in in, in our view uh, Rishi Sunak has much more seriously misled Parliament yeah. over the, the real terms of the Windsor yes. framework than Boris Johnson well, with all that, his parties. And life. that's a
3: very good point because, you know, the, the Westminster bubble maniacs have been obsessed with Boris this week, haven't they? All the papers have been writing about it, front oh, page news, sketch writers, five pages on it. I mean, I think most people in this country care an awful lot more about what the real government's actually doing as opposed to what Boris did and it was a, years ago. And
4: it was a deliberate manoeuvre by this government. That tried to basically sneak through a vote just on the Stormont break, not mm. on the whole deal, uh, on Wednesday at the same time, of course, as uh, as Boris's uh, his uh, shenanigans in front of the um, yeah uh, the Parliamentary uh, Procedures Committee. And look, th- the reality is that is is so serious, and the fact that uh, twenty two Tory MPs voted against it, I think, is significant. Mm. and The quantity who abstained, and what's remarkable, of course, is that. If Labour had actually voted against d- d- what is a bad deal for the it, United yeah. Kingdom, then things could have got very, very sticky indeed. But yeah. once again, Keir Starmer completely and utterly let the country down and showed his his complete naivety in mm. terms of uh, a political positioning. He well, blew it. He
3: say, did he not say before uh, the agreement was even uh, published that he was right. going to vote with it? He did, what despite sort of,
4: having not read it. What sort of right. negotiating tactic is right. that? I mean. Who, who does that? Who hmm. says, um, I'll sign whatever is agreed? Uh, whatever you put in front of, me. Yeah. In front of me, I'll sign me. I mean, this guy's supposed to be a lawyer. Yeah. Mr. Forensic, they don't say that much anymore, do they? He wasn't very—I mean, just unbelievable. Mm. Yeah, because uh, it also uh, turns out that the framework
3: spells uh, different things for different mm. people. So you pick up the uh, the French version uh, or the EU version says something completely different to the version that we <coughs> were shown by Rishi Sunak.
4: Which oh, that's is that was what and utterly misleading, and, and that's what uh, got us onto it very quickly because immediately after the original press conference by von der Leyen. Uh, talking about dear Rishi and that loving, uh, we looked at the EU side of it and realised that the whole thing was a stitch up and a con, mm. and uh, and so it's proved when the lawyers got into the tech. So yeah. look, I think it's actually incredibly serious what's happened, and that's why uh, you know we're so focused on reminding everybody of, of just the the absolute horrors of that uh, that framework. Yeah. There are some people who genuinely think it's actually worse mm. than the protocol. Yeah. Uh, the, well, they've done the away with the protocol, protocol, sort of willy-dilly, well, just they, what the DUP says, isn't it? Yeah, essentially, but actually, legally, they haven't. It's sort of contained within that. Uh, I mean, it's it's incredibly complicated, but suffice to say, it doesn't do what Rishi Sunak said it did on the tin. No. So, in our view he misled Parliament.
3: Yes, interesting point. Um, There's any number of people who could be accused of misleading Parliament. I mean, I would have thought, for example, that when, as soon as Boris Johnson admitted misleading Parliament, that should have been the end of it. They shouldn't have bothered having a huge hearing at which, you know, Bernard Jenkin and others could, you know, hoist their own petard up there uh, and and treat uh, the former Prime Minister with utter disdain and contempt just because they wanted to do it. I thought it was a shocking um, spectacle, really. and,
4: And it's worth reminding ourselves that this inquiry into him misleading Parliament, was launched um, in, in, I think, sort of April last year. So it's taken nine or ten months to come to this stage. And now, having had that three or four-hour grilling, they're going to take, apparently, another three or four months to make a decision. Yeah. I mean, if this is the glacial pace at which Westminster and the civil service and Whitehall works, it's not surprising the countries and the state that it's in. Mm. Because nothing happens in any form of sensible time frame. Right. And, and the, the, the cost and the delays when what we should be focusing on is actually the really important issues the, the utter failures of of lockdown mm. the catastrophes that, that led to yes. it's amazing how in westminster and the cost and the cost nobody wants to talk about that no one mm. wants to drill in to uh, why decisions were made learning quick lessons yeah. and and turning them round It's extraordinary. Yeah. None I mean, of the MPs to me, want to look at that. Right. No, people were saying to me
3: yesterday, oh, you cared about it at the time. Well, yes, I did care about it at the time and I did wonder about what was going on inside of Downing Street, but not because I care how much cake was eaten or how many bottles of wine were open. I do care, however, about how policy was made, why mistakes were literally sort of just shoved under the carpet. Um, and And particular policies were adopted, knowing full well that they had no scientific basis.
4: Uh, This is the point, and that has come out time and again, and Westminster and the mainstream media are are sort of wriggling and squirming and just trying to completely ignore it mm, absolutely uh, right which is which is uh, including Sakir time. I mean he's had a pretty bad week actually he's in, had a terrible in multiple week. ways he's
3: had a terrible week and the, the great line that he thought he came out with which was the, uh, you know uh, the only criminal investigation Rishi Sunak's ever been involved in is the one into his uh, party gate problems which is so lame as to not even be worth mentioning but but Sunak's response which was well you probably know more than I do because you've been talking to Sue Gray a lot more often uh, than I have <laughs> which actually was a lot better uh, um, but speaking of just of, 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 of matters arising, um, I'm looking at a piece of footage here in front of me uh, from France, Paris. There's uh, about 20 police vans racing to the Lycée Palace where Emmanuel Macron lives to protect it from the baying hordes of people. <coughs> hundreds uh, of thousands, well, we're told hundreds of thousands of people out on the streets of France, not just in Paris, but they're in Bordeaux. Uh, they're in uh, other parts of the country as well. Uh, Charles, of course, the king, is off yes. uh, next <clears> week <throat> to go there. People are going, are you sure? I <laughs> mean, is this you, a good idea? Is this a good idea? You know, maybe. Maybe just go to Dover and uh, wave to them across the channel and say, you know, very nice to see you. Maybe have a mid-channel meeting or something. But I think going to France, seriously, (laughs) might be quite dangerous.
4: Uh, uh, I mean, it is extraordinary. The French do love Mm. a good protest. There's nothing more they love than to put a few uh, bales of hay and straw onto the Champs Elysees. setting fire to some cars. And and, and setting fire to it. And and there's cars. Yeah. I mean, there have been some, some extraordinary footage and... Uh, yeah, it's it, but the way Macron uh, imposed this seemingly actually fairly. I mean, it's not that controversial to lift the pension age from 62 to 64. When you think where it is in most well, it other, it wouldn't be in this where, country. In this country, or indeed many other developed nations. But uh, and indeed, I I believe it was in his manifesto when he was re-elected president. Mm. But the fact that the parliament basically uh, wouldn't pass it through, and so he imposed. Uh, a, a draconian rule mm. uh, so that essentially acting like a dictator he could pass it. Yeah. Pretty remarkable stuff, and it certainly uh, and has upset a lot, them, of, uh, a lot sort of French And of he's goading them as well. Let's move on to, to
3: speaking of uh, dictators. How about this guy, uh, Councillor Bingley, Richard Bingley, uh, who was until uh, pretty much this week the leader of Plymouth City Council, a Tory. Uh, he's now announced that he's stepping down, not least, I'm sure due to the furore uh, over this cutting down of the trees uh, in this particular section of uh, Plymouth, where they wanted to make it possible to have a bus lane that ran all the way yeah. down uh, to the shore. Um, we highlighted it on this show, so I'm going to claim it as another victory for the Independent Republican of Mike Graham. Uh, he says this, I've always said I'm not a full-time politician, thank God. I don't mm-hmm. seek to be. I'm just an individual who is passionate and ambitious for Plymouth. If others feel they can run our glorious ocean city better, then that's great with me. Over to you. Uh, I urge my successors not to sink back into petty party political infighting, as that sad tendency has held back our city for so many years in the past. When good people see that, they soon politely walk away. Well, that's all very well, but he's he's already destroyed. the damage is done. The I damage mean, is done. Yeah. On the one the hand, On
4: the one hand, credit to him for recognising mm. that he's got it completely wrong, and he's taking he's taking responsibility. There is some accountability there. That's a good thing. Mm. The, the, but the appalling thing. Is that he didn't have the nous to realise that this was an absurd idea uh, in the starting point and uh, and stop it. Mm. And once that is done, once you chop down trees, it's done, it's gone, it's finished. Right. And the real focus now needs to be on other areas, other councils who are thinking of doing the same thing. And there's one in Cambridge mm. where they're looking to chop down, I think about 500 yeah. uh, trees in an ancient in an ancient orchard. <coughs> ancient right? orchard, I think it's uh, apples and and uh, fruit trees. And it just seems utterly appalling, and they're they're sort of blithely carrying on mm. all in the name of climate change. Yeah. I mean where does it work where you cut down trees that essentially um consume c o two that's a good thing, that's right. natural? and replace it with concrete. I mean, yeah. I know you're a man who likes Listen, concrete to grow. Well, I'm but- not against concrete,
3: <laughs> uh, but here's the thing, that my argument against the, the, the tree sustainability argument, right, is that how long do you think it's going to take to build up the orchard again once you've cut all the trees down? Yeah, Hundreds mean, of years. It, yeah. You know, trees don't grow that fast. I'm afraid nobody's found the elixir no. of life for that. Yeah. So so you
4: might as well concrete the whole place over. Uh, and be But done no, with we, it. we should, I mean, we're just, it, it's an absolute insanity. Mm. And I th- I think actually it's a sort of It's just another classic example of the absurdity of some of the measures that have been taken in pursuit of the net zero nirvana. Yes, uh, absolutely right. Speaking of which, we've got Sadiq
3: Khan to discuss coming up because he, of course, has claimed that 30,000 people may be adversely affected by his expanded uh, ultra-low emission zone. The RAC today have said it's 700,000 people, not 30,000 people. uh, And he's so busy, you know, celebrating Eid Mubarak, you know, uh, that he hasn't even bothered to actually consult with the people who have said to him, we don't want this.
4: Well, well, and actually he deliberately fixed and uh, ignored the uh, the representations during the consultation on yeah, this. He did. And I think it's utterly appalling. Uh, I I think there's a lot of water to pass under this particular bridge mm. and I suspect that something's going to happen. Yeah. Because you've got the legal cases by various of the uh, the councils uh, and this I is I think he's taken
3: on too much this time. I well, think he's going to good. Lose. And and
4: hopefully there'll be some accountability against him. In the, because it's only about 14 months until the next mayoral Mm. election. So there is some real pressure building up on him. Yeah, absolutely. And it just shouldn't be, uh, it it just, it's utter insanity Mm. that affects the least well off, the poorest. Uh, in and it is happening all everywhere. over
3: the country. We'll be talking about this. All of that business of pedestrianisation of places, the knocking down of trees, which is clearly some kind of policy which people have picked up on in local councils. We've also got the news today that, that uh, council tax goes over £2,000 for an awful lot of people as well, uh, even as you get an even worse service. Absolutely unbelievable. Richard Tice is here. Uh, we'll be back with more after this.
1: Nationwide, by your side, talk radio and talk TV. menu.
3: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Lots to do. Uh, Here's one from Helen in Market Drayton. Why would anyone want it known you're living in a nice place? You wouldn't want mass migration from London, would you? Like the Welsh town brought back lock, stock and barrel. Uh, She's in Market Drayton. I don't know what Market Drayton's like these days, but apparently the best place to live in Britain is Wadhurst, uh, down in Sussex, which the only thing I can tell you about, really, is it's very close to where my kids live, not far from where they go to school, um, and it is a lovely part of the world. But one of the things they say is nice about it is that it has a lovely dark night sky,
5: which doesn't
3: sound particularly unusual, although (laughs) if you live in London, you don't see the... I I must admit, whenever I go to Sussex, as I'm going to do later on, um, the sky is beautiful at night. You do see some incredible star uh, constellations. Uh, Absolutely, which I think,
4: of course, is the reality... Uh, all over the countryside, all mm. over the many parts yeah. of the UK. Also,
3: it's uh, good to get out of London because we were talking yesterday about the mask wearing in London. A lot of people re- reacted saying, yeah, every time I visit London now I see an awful lot more people wearing masks than I do in any other part of Britain where I go. So London is fast becoming now a kind of island of madness, isn't it? An island of metropolitan
4: mad yeah. snowflakes maybe. Snowflake
3: Ramonas <laughs> and Labour Party supporters. I mean, it's, I this think is it, the only it, place they live.
4: It, it, it's possible you see it, uh, sort of a, a lot on the tube and on the one hand, you want to sort of go up and say, why are you doing that? Yeah, yeah. On the other hand, you sort of say, look, if. It's, it's just it's, Julie Hartley-Brewitt that does that. It, well, <laughs> I mean, If you have go to a tube with her,
6: I, I tell you what. Move to the next carriage if yeah, you're wearing a mask. Yeah, I, yeah, you don't want to be seen
3: wearing one. Absolutely hilarious. Let's talk about Labour, though. Let's talk about Sir Keir Starmer, because yesterday uh, another speech, uh, he keeps making them uh, and mostly they're forgettable, but yesterday, trying to paint himself as this kind of caped crusader of crime, the man that's going to rid Britain of crime because he used to be the Director of Public Prosecutions. Absolute madness.
4: Uh, it really is extraordinary, because his track record when he was the DPP was actually pretty woeful. Uh, This, of course, is the guy that successfully, when he was uh, before that spell, uh, who successfully enabled uh, migrants Mm. to receive benefits. But we forget, we shouldn't forget, sorry, that back in 2020, Mm. just a few years ago, uh, he actually signed a letter uh, asking uh, asking and enabling the prevention of 50 uh, foreign criminals, foreign offenders, Mm. uh, from being deported. And the truth came out this week that seven of those 50, it appears, have gone on uh, to carry out uh, further horrific Very crimes, serious uh, crimes yeah. violence, drug dealing, stalking. Yeah. And, and you know, this is uh, this is what he thinks is is being yeah. tough on crime and criminals yeah. in the course of crime. completely out of touch with the wishes of the British people. I, I think absolutely up and down the country, if you're a... Um, Uh, If if you've come here and and, uh, enjoyed the generosity and hospitality of the United Kingdom, Uh, as someone from overseas, you then commit a crime, Mm. frankly, you've blown your chance. But he also specialises, doesn't he, in getting
3: people off planes who are dangerous to keep them here, like the Jamaican guy uh, who's been deported, um, who was saved from being deported thanks to a letter that he signed, another letter, uh, along with a load of other, you know, kind of um, serious loveies, you might say, from from the worlds of showbiz.
4: And that guy then went on to murder somebody. Just unbelievable. Mm. I I want foreign criminals deported. I don't see why we should pay for them in our no. prisons that are already overcrowded. Uh, I want them gone mm. and, and, and prevented from coming here ever again. Yeah. And, and that's what other sensibly run countries uh, do. And that's exactly what we should do. People need to know that we're not a soft touch. But Keir Starmer, far from being tough on crime, he is a he promotes a soft touch. Yeah, on crime. But what he likes to do is criminalise people who are not criminals,
3: like, for example, the way he went after the press. Um, At the behest of Tom Watson, uh, who was after all sorts of honours because he was really, really determined uh, to crack down on what he thought were some illicit practices being done uh, by members of the press. Um, He also, of course, got involved in Operation Midland um, because he had said way at the beginning of his time as a DPP um, that people should be believed. If you came forward to say that you were a victim of some kind of sex assault or sex crime that you should be believed before anybody else, and that has led to a culture i'm afraid as as, as difficult as these issues are of anyone who goes to the police now um, of basically going, oh, okay, well, it must be true, therefore let's go off particularly if it's high profile people yeah. let's go and arrest a load of people and say that they're all you know pedophiles and
4: and, it, and it's completely wrong they should be, you should be listened to uh, the claims should be investigated by by highly trained mm. specialist uh, personnel within the police uh, who can quickly get to the bottom of the veracity of the claims or not. Right. And who've got, it, who've got experience in dealing with it. And, and I'm afraid, up and down the country, that is why so many of these cases end up in a really bad place. And we know we can do so much better. But time and again, if you get the wrong sort of steer from someone like Keir Starmer in a leadership position, yeah then things go badly wrong. They do. And look at the number of things he's had to
3: U-turn on. The next one will be this transgender uh, story, won't it? Because he's he's the guy who initially couldn't identify what a woman was. He's still not really sure. And still Labour politicians will say it's oh, whoever wants to be a woman. Well, I'm sorry. Not according to uh, Lord Sebastian Coe uh, and the World Athletics Organisation. Absolutely
4: right. And I put out a tweet this morning about it because Stonewall still... Uh, think that um, trans women should be able to compete Mm. in uh, in women's competitions, which, of course, is utter lunacy. Uh, But no, I mean, Keir Starmer doesn't know what uh, what a woman is. And but it was interesting this morning, Wes Streeting starting to row back because Labour realised that this could actually really work against Mm. them towards the general election. Well, it will. I mean, you spend a lot of time on doorsteps. You go to real parts of
3: Britain where real people live as opposed to the kind of, you know, the the leafy parts of North London that Keir Starmer inhabits. And people don't care. They say people who are running against each other
4: should probably all be women. You know, you shouldn't have some bloke running pretending he's a woman and saying, well, I'm going to win now. Yeah, but look, common sense up and down the country, uh, people in in pubs and clubs and on the bus stops talking about this stuff think that Westminster's utterly insane in this whole issue, completely and mm. utterly insane. Basic common sense. If you've got a penis, you are a man. Yeah. It's not difficult. Right. And I think if Keir Starmer can't admit that in the run-up to the next election, then I think his opponents will absolutely well, even hammer more, him.
3: But up. even more important than, than that particular piece of information, it's if you have uh, gone through puberty, as far as the Athletics Board now is concerned, if you've gone through puberty as a male, you can never call yourself a female in any way, shape or form, no matter what happens Correct.
4: to your genitalia. Yeah. I, I think we're going to see the Labour Party row back big time. Mm. And I think it started today with Wes, Wes Streeting, who quite often is sort of the... He's almost like their sort of outlier flag carrier who will sort of plant a pole and then gradually yeah. other parts of the shadow cabinet yeah. Keir Starmer start to follow him. So uh, wait and see. I think they know they're...
3: He's like the sort of Vinnie
4: Jones figure, isn't he? From uh, from those movies. He is, but I I think that, uh, I think there's going to be a big shift from the Labour Party Mm. because... But isn't
3: it also interesting that in most recent times, he's come out and started talking because before he would let, you know, either Boris Johnson or Liz Truss just make fools of themselves and do nothing and watch his poll rating rise. He's now seeing the polls actually getting closer. Rishi Sunak being seen as somebody serious. You and I would probably disagree with that. Um, But the
4: general view. No, I, like, I think, there's, no, yeah, there's no question he's serious. He's stewarding the he's, economy. There's no a, question he's serious. He's just fundamentally, uh, in my view, wrong on many issues yes, and got no and ideology, uh, n- no principles and he's a he's a sort of patrician socialist. Yeah. That's
3: why I call yes. him a con-socialist. No, I get that and you and I agree on that, I think. But, but the point is is that he can't any longer just sit back and watch it all happening. Correct. And every time he opens his mouth and every time he opens the, the window slightly further, the light that shines in the Labour Party makes you see things you don't like
4: well and the hypocrisy this week of the fact that he had his own special pension scheme yeah uh, that um, that was it? blessed by Super. some form of parliamentary instrument yeah. so that yeah he He's has, actually got his own law he literally has got his own law for yeah. his own pension scheme so that it didn't count towards his his lifetime cap i mean just remarkable mm. i think he has now admitted in sort of rather humiliating embarrassment yeah. uh, this and and that uh, he wouldn't take advantage of it but just unbelievable yeah. that he thought that he could sort of uh, vote against Uh, the lifting of the lifetime cap on pensions Mm. for everybody else, um, whilst he could sort of sneak under the radar and and
3: not take advantage. Typical Labour two-faced hypocrite. I'll say it. Nobody else will. Uh, What about the uh, tax return issue? I think it's very un-British to start showing your tax returns off to people. I don't like it.
4: Yeah, look, to be honest, I'm not interested. Uh, I'm just not interested. I just want uh, want people to focus on uh, the real issues of making the right judgments. Mm. Uh, running the country properly and when they've made mistakes, admitting it and changing course rather than spending mm. all this time, spending months and months working out who's going to release what tax return, yeah. when, in what... In, right. just, just forget it. Yeah. Just, just get on with making the right decisions, challenge them, do it, yeah. action... Just do your job. Just do Um, your job.
3: Speaking of which, it's coming up on Sunday. You've got another big uh, uh, Sunday sermon. Big
4: Sunday sermon, absolutely. It'll be another absolute sizzler. Do not miss it. Right. I know what it's about. I tell you, it is going to be a sizzler. It's going to upset a few people. Excellent. That's what we like. Uh, Richard Tice, Sunday at
3: 10 o'clock. Don't miss it. Uh, We'll be back with John Redwood after this.
4: The home of common sense.
1: Talk radio and talk TV.
3: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Uh, You might have just seen uh, there's a brand new Plank of the Week out tonight at 7pm and it's not just any old Plank of the Week because it is actually the 150th plank of the week, believe it or not. It's the third year we've been doing it. Uh, It's only just made it onto TV, of course, this year, or last year I should say, back at at the end of last year uh, to, thanks very much indeed to the organisers here and the bosses at Talk TV. It started off as a YouTube show, uh, and there's a clip from the, uh, we'll play it to you a little bit later on in this show, a clip from that original first show, which, believe it or not, stars Russell Quirk incredibly uh the man uh that we'll play in a bit yeah we'll play because only just, literally only just played uh, but listen thank you very much indeed let's talk now though to sir john redwood conservative mp for wokingham uh, because he's got some concerns as as we all do about the stewarding of the economy uh, the way things are going we saw the interest rate going up yesterday once more to 4.25 percent i think the 11th rise uh, in a row uh, which for some people isn't a particularly good sign um but how about this from um uh where are we uh somebody who says oh it's down in epsom uh, starmer is unelectable the party is full of far left mps who hate our country and our traditions he defended terrorists including against british people he wants to drag us kicking and screaming back to the european union he campaigned to keep foreign criminals in our country who then went on to kill and to rape you think things cannot get worse vote labor and they definitely will i'm sure john redwood would agree with that Sir so john a very good morning to you Morning, Mike. Thank you very much indeed for joining us. Um, It's been another fascinating week uh, in the the fantastically varied world of politics. Um, Where to begin? Um, You've been uh, expressing a bit of concern about the economy and the way growth is going. Um, We've seen interest rates rise again yesterday, 4.25%. Where is it all going to go? And and do you think we're heading in the right direction? I
7: think the slowdown is going to be... um, unpleasant. And I think the Bank of England is now squeezing money too much. This is the Bank of England, which created much of the inflation by printing far too much money in 2021 and ignoring people like me who said, don't go on buying all those bonds. Don't keep the interest rates right down at zero. Uh, This is not going to work. It's going to be inflationary. Now they've lurched the other way. And we saw them lurching again yesterday with a further 25 basis points increase when we know the economy is slowing. Just look at retail sales today. They're saying it's good because they're up a little bit uh, on the month before. But on the year, they're down three and a half percent. That's quite a squeeze because people have suffered uh, with the rising energy prices and other prices and their pay hasn't kept up.
3: And that's true. And I was noticing last night just by chance, I happened to be looking at the price of a few things. And I think the retail sector itself has some blame to carry here because an awful lot of prices have just been inflated, it seems to me, either by the manufacturers uh, or by the retail shops themselves. Because I was looking at the price, for example, of um, water, basic water, still water that you buy in a a bottle. Um, It's practically doubled uh, in the space of six months. You know, it's gone from we used to be able to buy, say, six one and a half litre bottles for about three quid. Uh, They're now talking about selling it for five. And I can't believe that water uh, has gone up to that degree.
7: But all the shops uh, faced very big increases in their own costs and the energy costs have gone up a lot. The transport costs have gone up a lot and their suppliers are charging them more. We'll have to see how the profit margins have worked out for the shops. But I don't think retailers uh, are having a great profits bonanza shop by shop. I think they're struggling to keep up with the big increasing increases in costs throughout the system. Uh, and it's very noticeable, I think, that it's the stores that are offering the keenest prices, uh, offering the biggest discounts, that are doing the best. And be the, they will be the ones that are profiting most because they're attracting an awful lot more yes. custom. But we do also know with the higher prices are suffering now.
3: But we do also know, because we heard the head of Tesco saying it actually on TV in an interview, that there are some manufacturers who are literally just adding numbers to what it is that they sell because they think they can get away with it.
7: Well, there may well be um, individual companies doing that. And I, I don't like that anymore than anybody else does. But, but why have we got a general inflation? We got a general inflation because our central bank printed far too much money and kept interest rates, particularly on, on longer debt, far mm. too low for too long. Now they're giving us the opposite treatment. They are um, doing an awful lot of damage quite deliberately. How do they stop an inflation? Uh, they do it by slowing the economy down. They do it by putting people's mortgages up. They do it by trying to stop people having enough money to buy all the things they would like.
3: Mm. Could um, Jeremy Hunt have done better in his budget statement to try and create a bit more growth?
7: Yes, I think he could have done more. Um, I think he was too circumscribed by the forecasts of the OBR, which are unreliable in the extreme Uh, and tending to be on the pessimistic side at the moment, looking out for the more distant years. And I think he should break free. I wanted him to increase the VAT threshold for small business so that many of those small businesses could expand instead of having to shut down halfway through the year because they've reached the threshold and they don't want to go through it. I thought he could uh, ease the taxation on the self-employed. And I think the um, big increase in business tax, the 31% hike in the amount the company has to pay on its profits Uh, next year compared with this uh, was over the top and it will not collect us a lot more revenue. It will actually damage the revenues from business and it will mean that quite a lot of companies don't invest here or don't come here.
3: Yeah well you've already seen some of that as well. Also we've got council tax rising above £2,000 for a lot of people uh, for the first time. I mean I know that uh, it's just another additional cost to people but still the council fees now are so ludicrous for, for what you get in terms of, you know, I know that we're supposed yeah. to pay for uh, education, the police, okay. social care, uh, bin collecting and all of that. But most people I talk to say that their council services have actually got worse in the last two to three years. And why are we paying more money for them?
7: Well, indeed, I mean, councils like um, Liberal Democrat, c- Controlled Wokingham uh, have been cutting the services on things like um, the refuse service, which we value. Uh, but they haven't been cutting back on their own costs. I mean, we've got lots of empty offices all around the country now, uh, far more office space than council workers want to use because they want to work from home in the main, but mm. we're still having to pay all the rents on those. Quite a lot of councils went off on a great, great borrowing and buying splurge, buying up lots of shop properties and office properties. Mm. They're now losing money on those, think it's a great pity uh, they did all that. Some of them, of course, have come spectacularly undone uh, by discovering that the... Properties they bought aren't worth anything like what they paid for and they've now run out of money.
3: Well, that's the problem, isn't it? An awful lot of small towns in this country as well have got high streets which are impossible to park in and are filled with sort of empty shopfronts.
7: Well, that's right. <clears throat> a lot of councils make it worse, as you imply, by um, re- reducing the amount of road space, closing roads, narrowing roads, uh, making parking very expensive. Also quite a lot of car parks now. Very difficult to be able to pay in the car parks. The technology often doesn't work. And I was hearing a case the other day where someone had spent a little while trying to pay a, a car park before driving in and parking, um, couldn't do so. So decided she'd have to go elsewhere. And she got a, um, a charge for the time she was spent in the car park trying ludicrous. to pay i just absolutely outrageous.
3: Yeah, it really is absolutely maddening. And also, you can fight these things and you can sometimes get off them, but it's time consuming and it shouldn't be necessary. Um,
7: no, it's very unfriendly to the customers, So it then makes people think, well, that's another reason why I should buy something online and not go to the local town centre to use the shops. And then, of course, the coffee bars and the restaurants don't get so much business either. Mm.
3: Absolutely right. Um, Lord Agnew has spoken out um, this morning and talking about um, how much COVID fraud there was. I had Grant Shapps on this show some weeks ago in which he said that they were clawing back as much of it as they could. I said, well, you haven't clawed back much. He said, oh, no, we're we're beginning to get it back. According to Lord Agnew, uh, only one percent. Uh, of the money that was granted to illicit companies and fraudulent characters has been recovered. Uh, That seems to be a pretty awful record. 99% of the money uh, taken away fraudulently from the COVID funds. We're never going to see again. It's outrageous, isn't it? Well, I hope
7: they'll do better than that. I can't understand why, if they've identified it as fraud, they can't do better than that at getting it back.
3: No. Well, you'd like to think so. Finally, well, what did you make of the, uh, uh, the kangaroo court, as some people called it this week, of Boris Johnson and the, uh, um, the, uh, the, 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 the situation regarding uh, COVID and the Partygate inquiry and Harriet Harman and all of that? I said I thought it was a ludicrous waste of government money, ludicrous waste of public money. Didn't need to happen. Uh, and we learned nothing.
7: Well, I didn't watch it because I was very busy um, dealing with the arguments over the Northern Ireland Protocol because I was extremely worried about some of the changes Mm. in that agreement with the EU because I want us to be free of EU laws. And I was obviously also busy with the budget resolutions as was much of Parliament. Um, I will read the report when the committee finishes its work. I just hope they do a good job and a timely job. But I agree with you that it could become a ridiculous saga and a major diversion mm. when we need to concentrate on the things you and I have been talking about this morning. Yes,
3: absolutely right. So, John, thank you very much indeed. Have a great weekend. Sir so John Redwood, MP uh, for Wokingham, a uh, Conservative with a proper capital C uh, who's not at all happy with the slow rates of growth uh, and indeed uh, the rather slow recovery uh, which is being managed or you might say mismanaged by Jeremy Hunt and Rishi Sunak. We'll take some calls on that. 0344 499 1000 is the number. We've got loads of great uh, Tweets here and and messages as well about Keir Starmer, amongst other things. This is Talk TV. Edgy talk, plain
2: talk, unrivaled talk. Mike Graham, the only radio show you can count on for a proper serving of good old fashioned common sense. In search of the perfect debate. The independent republic of Mike Graham. On the app,
5: on
1: your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
2: Welcome back to the Independent Republic
3: of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Spring would appear to have sprung, ladies and gentlemen. They did say it was going to be horrible this week, and it was horrible in part, but it's actually uh, looking a lot better today, and hopefully the weekend uh, will be set fair. We shall see uh, what it's like in your neck of the woods. Uh, We can bring you that breaking news once again, uh, that the decision uh, to postpone uh, the trip to uh, France for King Charles and Consort Camilla uh, has in fact been made. According to the Elysee Palace, the decision was taken by the French and British government. Governments together after a telephone exchange between the President of the Republic and the King this morning. Those are their words. Uh, It will be rescheduled as soon as possible. But due uh, to the day of action against pension reform planned for Tuesday, uh, King Charles' state visit to France has been postponed. Very sensible too. Uh, there's some trouble uh, getting to France and back as well. So uh, we'll be checking in with Ben Clatworthy from The Times later on uh, in the show to find out just what is actually going on. Uh, if you're hoping to get away for Easter, if you're hoping to get away uh, anytime between now and then, whether that's going to be difficult... Or not. O three four 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 nine nine one thousand is the number. We're going to talk to Councillor Paul Osborne, uh, the leader of Harrow Council in a moment. But also we want to talk about a breaking news story as well from yesterday, actually, uh, and the, the continuing saga today of a wealthy politician who's been found guilty of an organ trafficking plot as if trafficking people here wasn't bad enough. On the small boats, bringing people here uh, to be involved in sex slavery or to be involved in the drug trade or to be involved in all manner of uh, dodginess on the black economy. This guy, a Nigerian politician, actually trafficked somebody here, a young man, uh, to have his kidney taken out and transplanted uh, into his daughter who had a kidney problem. It's an absolutely extraordinary story. Uh, it was at the Old Bailey yesterday. Uh, we'll find out what that's all about coming up a little bit later on as well. 0344 uh, 499 is the number. Also, we will be travelling across to France to catch up with Gavin, Gavin Mortimer to find out how bad the situation actually is there. And It looks pretty bad last night uh, with all sorts of things being set on fire, running battles between the police uh, and the protesters and tear gas being fired all over the place, baton charges dreadful situation in France, really, even for them, uh, looking pretty bad. But let's talk about the uh, ULES once again, because we just heard from our friend uh, down in uh, Wales, in um, in Bridgend, who was telling us that they're talking about introducing road charging in parts of Wales, and it might be a reality sooner rather than later. So never ever think that when we talk about the ultra-low emission zone in London, that it only affects people in London, because it doesn't. It will affect you wherever you live, wherever you are, because they're coming for you, I'm afraid. And thankfully people like Paul Osborne, the leader of Harry Councillor, sticking up for the motorists and sticking up for the uh, consumer in this one, uh, in the fight against Sadiq Khan, the Mayor of London, uh, Councillor Paul. Very good morning to you. Good morning. We heard from uh, Sadiq Khan some time ago that this expansion of the zone, which takes it out into parts of. Um, uh, the sort of surrounding counties of uh, outside of London really um, that it would affect 30,000 people or something. It turns out according to the RAC that it's more like 700,000 people that are going to be affected by this. That's, even for him, quite an understatement.
5: Yeah, I mean it's kind of what you expect from the Mayor of London I'm afraid. <laughs> he says one thing and the reality is somewhat different.
3: Yeah I mean it's it's more than somewhat different I mean it's it's by a factor of sort of 20 and a bit Different. Um, yeah. So many people have complained about this uh, this idea. So many people have um, demonstrated about it. We've now got uh, what we're seeing is a bit of vandalism going on to some of the cameras that are being put up. Uh, we don't encourage that, but you can't really blame people for doing it. What's the latest situation um, with you and your fellow council leaders who are trying to oppose
5: it? So we're now going through the court process. We're waiting to hear from the court if we get permission to take our judicial review to a hearing. Um, the Mayor of London has asked for that to be sped up, and we're quite happy for this to be resolved as, as soon as possible. Uh, we think we've got a very strong case. We think that this was the wrong decision, made the wrong way. He ignored the the and manipulated the consultation that he did for all Londoners. And this has to be stopped.
3: Yeah. I mean, this is the same mayor, by the way, who has accused those who are against the expansion of ULES uh, to be sort of right-wing nutters um, and fascists and, uh, you know, COVID deniers. I mean, that was quite an extraordinary statement he made in Ealing Town Hall, wasn't it?
5: I mean, it was incredible. And when you look at the people who are opposing this, you know, I've been talking to Unison m- members, Unite members, GMB members from around outside London who who are finding that their members are going to be massively affected Uh, by this. These are people who have to get to Heathrow at midnight or or get to Heathrow at 4am in the morning, uh, work a shift and then come back. And they can't afford to change their car. They can't afford to upgrade their car. Um, And they're on a low paid job. They're doing it at difficult hours. And and they're just getting this incredible charge slapped on them day after day after day.
3: Yes. And we were talking to Gareth Bacon MP about it uh, yesterday, because obviously his constituency is, is not a million miles from uh, from from, ha- from Harrow, it's down in the sort of south, down near Alpington and Ken. Um, and he was saying, you know, this is not about air pollution, because it really isn't. Because if you're really con- uh, convinced that you need to stop people polluting the air, you would be stopping them from driving, as opposed to actually just charging them to pollute the air.
5: Yeah, I mean, if you're, for example, in a Range Rover being chauffeur-driven around, that's apparently fine. <laughs> but if you're in an old Ford Fiesta, just going... You know, round the corner to your doctor's surgery, or you're go doing your shopping, or whatever, you have to pay this charge, and and it makes no account also of just how much people use it. If you drive all day in a gas guzzling car, you pay twelve pound fifty. If you don't, you then just go round the corner, you pay twelve pound fifty. It's, yeah. the whole thing is so flawed, um, so wrong, and and so unfair to to the people who really can't afford. Um, this 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 imposition. Mm.
3: And as I mentioned, the fact is that many cameras are already now being put in. Um, are you aware of any ca- uh, cameras being installed in, in your borough?
5: We don't think so yet. Um, there are some that kind of on the border where neighbouring boroughs have given permission already and signed an agreement with the mayor. The mayor is talking about just putting them in anyway, regardless of the borough's wishes. Um, that's something that we're talking to our lawyers about to see what options we have. But we're also conscious that we don't want to spend any more taxpayers' money than, than is necessary in doing all this. What we have asked the mayor to do is to hold off his self-imposed deadline of the 28th of August and actually let this court case play itself out, and and then he can go ahead. Otherwise, he has to put them all in and then take them all out again.
3: Yeah, it's absolutely extraordinary, isn't it? And, I mean, as far as the uh, the fund uh, that the government has set up, basically, um, in order to kind of help this scheme for households to come, somehow get... Um, exemptions from this. How does that actually work and how do people apply to it?
5: I mean, I think a lot of these schemes, the detail isn't quite clear yet. Um, I know the Mayor's scheme is massively oversubscribed, doesn't help people who live just outside London um, and doesn't really take account of the fact that, you know, it's just not enough money sometimes to get a new car. I mean, people are really having difficulty selling their existing car if it's not ULES um, compliant. And there's also massive issues around the availability of new cars.
3: Yeah, absolutely right. And I mean, in addition to that, and I know that you're, uh, you're, you're facing your own sort of plight here in terms of the actual amount of money that you're having to charge people, but council tax going up on the front page of the Times this morning, uh, over, over £2,000 for an awful lot of people, uh, rate rise for the 11th time. I mean, it really is quite an extraordinary amount of money that people are being asked to pay for their council tax. A lot of people say to me that the services they get are actually decreasing rather than increasing.
5: I mean, the, the the challenge of council tax and the challenge of council finances is it's the cost of adult social care that we're having to deal with. Yeah. It's a really big problem, and I think you know the government tried to address it and then it got um, sidetracked by doing it. I think it really needs a, a national solution at the moment. The burden of adult social care is predominantly falling on council taxpayers through the council tax, and I think we need to look at that system and look at how it works. Mm. Otherwise, what you'll find is more and more of the council money – just goes on that one area and that means the council tax goes up and also you're, you're less able to spend money on the other areas that the council is expected to to deliver.
3: Yeah, I mean, that is the problem, isn't it? And I've just got a note here from um, uh, Malcolm up in Morpeth. He says there's been a ULEZ in Newcastle since the end of January, which I wasn't aware of. So it is absolutely creeping into all parts of the country, isn't it?
5: Oh Yeah, I mean, these things are, are part of a, a plan to try and stop people using cars. You know, there's low traffic neighborhoods, there's entire sections of roads being taken over by cycle lanes and then there's there's ulers and you know this is some inner London mayor deciding that outer London is the same as inner London. The fact is you can probably manage much more easily in inner London than outer London mm. without a car. you know the car ownership is much lower in inner London as when you move to outer London it goes up to about 70 80 percent whereas it's below 50 percent in some inner London. Areas. I just think, you know, there is a, a war against the motorists, think like you said in your introduction, um, that in the planning system, they're trying to make sure there's not enough parking spaces for people when they build new houses to try and stop people having cars. Yeah. And it just doesn't understand the reality of life for many people who have to get their kids to school, who have to get to work in different places where maybe public transport isn't as much of an option. Uh, and it just has to stop.
3: It really must. It is incredible uh, that the war on motorists is going seemingly sort of unchecked. But uh, Paul, thanks very much indeed for, y- for your help. Paul Osborne, leader of Harrow Council there, still fighting the good fight on behalf of motorists, on behalf of citizens of this country, uh, who are being sort of rolled over and run over uh, into the ground uh, by Sadiq Khan and his crazed uh, obsession uh, with net zero and getting rid of cars all over the place. Paul uh, has texted into in to, eight ta- uh, to, uh, to Talk TV here. He says, the reality of road charges is going to hit everyone in the UK, in my view. Everyone is asleep if they think this is a London problem. Uh, although Sadiq Khan is also going to hit motorists with his Silver Town tunnel plans as well. You should have had someone at the conference last week in Europe where all the business and members of councils went for a jolly to help each other implement so many plans hitting the motorists. There is big money in this area. Well, this is the thing. I mean, I actually said, didn't I, towards the end of last year when they were talking about Jeremy Hunt coming in as chancellor, I said, how are they going to find any more ways of actually taxing us? Well, Sadiq Khan has found several new ways of taxing people and also, uh, as you heard us telling you there, uh, up in Newcastle, they've got an ultra low emission zone in operation since the end of January. Unbelievable. Now, we were talking earlier about ring doorbells and I've had quite a lot of interesting uh, suggestions as to how this could be happening. But let's talk to Andrew, uh, who's a new caller from Wakefield, who says that he might have the answer. Andrew, very good uh, morning to you.
2: Uh, good morning, Mike. Uh, now, very nice to speak to you. Yes, indeed.
3: Day. Welcome uh, to the show. What can you tell me about these uh, ring doorbell mysteries?
2: Well, it's um, it, it's not a great a great mystery. I'm afraid it's very simple to is purchase it? a uh, what they call a author, which mm. is a uh, spelt in. I think it's more of an American spelling. It's D E A A U. Sorry, D E A U T H E R, mm. and that. Simulates an attack on a Wi-Fi system. Okay. so These are highly illegal, but right. they are available on. It, it
3: sounds a bit like one of those radar blockers you used to be able to get for your car. You know, when somebody when a police gun <laughs> radar gun fired, it, you can block it.
2: Oh, I'm sure I wouldn't know about
3: that. No, me, me neither. Like,
2: I've only heard no. that. I've heard it. <laughs> <laughs> so, so these are freely available, and they can be bought in a kit form. Uh, Once called a node MCU from uh, one of the well, I won't name all the websites. Okay. Um, they we use them every day, and um, th- these are sold as experimental chips, um, and okay. they can be portable. Um, and of course, with a with a ring doorbell, um there is only one or two versions of the ring doorbell. I think there's about seven models out mm. there now, but there's okay. only one or two that actually work on a. Um, internet over wired access, so it comes down the power cable. Wow. Now that that can't be jammed. So okay. there, there are there are very expensive ones, the versions of the ring doorbell. But of course, any any time the Wi-Fi signal is broken to uh, one of these doorbell yeah. devices, then it stops recording because it relies on the constant internet connection. Right. So. Quite simply, turning off your router would uh, would also uh, kill it would the
3: wi effect. And what sort yeah. of form does this thing take? Do you wear it? Is it like a, something you carry? Do you, is, it a, is it not a phone app or anything like that?
2: Well, it, it is actually. Um, the, there is a phone app that runs it. There's the, the, the little board that you can buy for just five pounds. Works via the via apps on either an Android right. or, or an Apple device. But you can also have it in a watch form. So the watch. Okay. The watch form, in a watch, uh, it's about the same size as a as a, an Apple Watch or mm-hmm. a Garmin, okay. and um, they're about thirty pounds. Okay, um, but and so without it's, without it's wishing to,
3: to to tarnish anyone that's got one, I mean presumably the only reason you wouldn't want to be seen on a ring doorbell camera is if you're up to no good. Well, that that, that would
2: that is is the case, but obviously when when these people are being recorded. They haven't given their authority for somebody to record them. Right. Um, th- there is there is a, um, a legal obligation for you to let people know they are being recorded. OK. And a lot of the people who have ring devices don't have a warning up saying that, um, that, that it's... That you're um, currently being it, recorded, it, yeah. It, I yes, mean, so is it good
3: enough to say put up a look? Because you see sometimes these signs saying CCTV cameras in, in operation or something like that.
2: Um, well, I, I, I couldn't say from a legal point of view exactly because these things are being challenged all the time. Right. And, um, but but I think that the, the law does state that that it, it's it's you're not supposed to film out onto a roadway where people are okay. walking around who who don't who haven't given any authorization. So it's quite possible some of these maybe the delivery people mm. use them. So they're not. Yeah, maybe they just
3: don't like being filmed doing everything that they're doing, or maybe it's maybe right. it's a sort of self. Self-saving a, a, a face operation, for them in case you do something wrong. <laughs> well,
2: that um, that that could be the case, or maybe they they're, they're doing that as a uh, as they're moonlighting. Yeah. A oh, that's a good do, point. Yeah, that know.
3: could well be. Very interesting. Oh, could, could very be interesting. Be interesting. I mean, nice I've, I've literally uncovered an area of, of of the world that I didn't have any idea about. Andrew, thank you very much indeed. What an interesting call. So, Andrew says you can you can buy for not very much money, effectively a blocker. Uh, of all of these ring doorbells providing they're not actual uh, hooked up and properly wired uh, into the into the mains because if it's run on your wifi this can be this can be the effect fascinating carlin croydon says hello mike regarding cameras not picking up deliveries some postmen lean over from next door and use the letterbox that way yeah i don't think that could be done in this particular instance i think this particular doorway uh, isn't isn't able to be accessed except by standing right in front of it but we now may have an answer which is fascinating. This is Talk TV.
1: The Independent Republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio. Uh,
3: How about this? Uh, Mike Graham, how come you have to notify people you're filming them on your property, but there are millions of people filming other people and private property every day, posting it on YouTube and TikTok without any permission whatsoever. Well, I think that's true. Uh, Very interesting. Uh, Here's one from Phil who says, I've seen signs at Heathrow Airport, uh, Terminal 5, where the airport is incorporated into the ULED zone. How will this work with cars and planes using the same airspace? Well, I mean, it's hard to stick a ticket on a plane, I suppose. I don't know who you send it to. Wizz Air, maybe? Better call for Russell Quirk. 0344 499 1000. Let's go to France and find out what the hell is going on there. Gavin Mortimer uh, is there, hopefully taking cover uh, from the baton charging, the tear gas and the fire. Um, Gavin, a very good morning to you. Yeah, morning, Mike. I'm still in one piece. Uh, very good. I presume you've got the right gear ready, just in case at any time you are required to go and join the the fray. I was watching some of the footage last night. It's quite quite horrendous, even for France. Um, but who are the people actually demonstrating? There's an awful lot of them. They can't all just be anarchists, can they?
8: No, I mean the majority of demonstrators. There are an estimated 1.3 million people on the streets yesterday, Mike. So the vast majority uh, are just demonstrating, a mixture of anger about the pension reform uh, that Macron forced through last week, but also just a, a, a sort of a, a despair at the cost of living crisis. You know, everything's going up: inflation, energy bills. Uh, your weekly shop, etc. But the the trouble yesterday was caused by um, a group, a far left group, Black Bloc, which are particularly active in continental Europe, in Germany, and Holland, and uh, and France. And there are about a thousand of them in Paris, uh, and they uh, looted and vandalised shops, banks, restaurants. Um, uh, fought running battles with police. There were also incidents in Bordeaux where they. Um, uh, Burned down a town hall. They uh, attacked a police station in the west of France. So, I mean, it was anarchy on the streets of France yesterday. Uh, the next protest is for Tuesday. That's the official one. But every night since uh, last Thursday, so eight consecutive nights in Paris, there's been violence. Uh, over 350 police officers wounded. Um, the the uh, it's just been announced that the King, uh, King Charles, won't be coming to. Mm to France this weekend and his state visits, which is, I'm surprised about that, because um, you could say that's an admission of weakness on the part of Macron. Just last night, the government were adamant that it would go ahead. And so is this is this the first sign that Macron is worried? He spoke to the nation on Wednesday and it was his usual cocksure self, but uh, uh, he must have been rattled by the ferocity of what happened yesterday.
3: I think so, because, I mean, just watching the footage there uh, of some of the crowds in sort of happier moments before the um, before the fires started and before the baton charging was going on, they all seem to be pretty well-coordinated, but they look like quite a mix of people, different ages, you know, uh, different uh, different types of people. They're, you know, they're not the normal... I suppose what I'm saying is they're not the normal sort of masked-up anti-globalist types that you normally see.
8: No, absolutely. And that, I think, is a real worry, that it will... The violence will spread from a minority; it will become contagious.
3: Yeah. Um, and when you've
8: got over a million, of course, the, the million figure is the police figure. The the unions who have been organising these coordinated uh, the eight major unions have been organising these protests since January. Say it was it was around three million in total wow. across France. So that's a huge number, and it's it's really Mike. It's it's yeah, it is ostensibly about the pension reform age of retirement from 62 to 64 as it it goes much deeper it's tied back to the yellow vests of 2018 and as i said just a this general feeling that the country's in decline there's an elite that is out of touch that treats the little people with contempt Mm. and this has been building building it's really since macron took office in 2017 you know he's not a man as you know uh uh, who does humility. No. And he, uh, he he's just got he just seems to enjoy antagonizing the French. But has he antagonized them one one time too many?
3: No, exactly right. Um, interesting times indeed. So presumably it's going to be a pretty hairy weekend if if anybody's coming over to France. And will it spread beyond Bordeaux
8: uh, to other places? Yeah, I mean, you know, um, I wouldn't advise coming to Paris at the moment because, of course, you've, you haven't just got the riot. You've also got mountains of rubbish on the streets because there's a bin strike that's been going on for about two weeks, wrapped everywhere. Um so um it's um love isn't really in the air in Paris at the moment. And uh the I think it is going to 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 certainly continue. And that's what the government will is scared of, but it will spread in in the coming days and the coming weeks. And uh it's um, it's going to be, it's a very interesting time, very volatile time. And uh, this is a story that's still got much to run.
3: Yeah, Paris O'Printon takes on a bit of a different name, doesn't it? Paris in the it spring. Does. Stay away, don't bother. <laughs> Thank you very much indeed. Gavin Mortimer there from The Spectator, reporting in uh, from a very, very dodgy looking place at the moment Paris where the streets are burning, cars are being set on fire, Uh, there are nightly protests running battles with the police, baton charging by them, firing of tear gas I mean if you're planning a romantic weekend it's this weekend in Paris uh, I think you would better rearrange it because even King Charles ain't going with Camilla they've postponed the trip for next week Uh, they say it will be hastily rearranged but things are not good over in France The home of
1: Common Sense Talk Radio and Talk TV
3: Welcome back to the Independent Republic of Mike Graham right here on Talk TV. Got a couple of uh, interesting messages coming in. One here uh, from Steve uh, up in Newcastle with regard to their uh, uh, ultra low emission zone. He says, had to get dropped off in Gateshead from South Shields. And after three attempts, taxi drivers wouldn't actually take us into Newcastle because they say it's not worth it for them. That's unbelievable. So, you know, these councils up and down the country putting in these ultra low emission zones supposedly to stop traffic from going anywhere. But it means literally you can't go anywhere without paying an awful lot of money. It's madness, absolute madness. Um, Let's change tax slightly, though, before we do anything else. Mike Sullivan is here from The Sun, uh, crime Minister, of course. Mike, very good morning to you. Uh, You had a great piece in the paper yesterday about a new plan which has been put forward by the police college, um, which would effectively uh, enable cops to keep secret the names of suspects who are being investigated for some quite serious crimes. Tell us about it. Uh,
9: well, it's actually to keep secret their names after being charged, Mike. Okay. So, um, uh, at the moment, um, police officers are encouraged to name suspects once they are charged. Yes. Until that and point... And that's normally when you find out who it is, right? Yeah, exactly. Until that I and mean, until sort of a few years ago... Um, we were able to write or name a person or, or on the point of arrest or even if they were right. being investigated but Yes. we can't do that anymore and that does actually have ramifications mm. because the police will often we we name somebody in the media and say it's around a, a, a pedophile offences yeah. or child sex offences rape offences mm. uh, the police will often re- uh, receive further information further yeah. victims will come forward right. and it's an important part of justice right. so So this new proposals from the College of Policing, which is a training and policy body for Mm. all the forces in England and Wales, it's uh, it's changing very subtly, but importantly, it might have quite widespread ramifications. They're saying instead of police should name um, suspects, they're now changing it to can name suspects. And what they're suggesting effectively is really only in the very most serious cases... Uh, such as murder, rape, that the police should think about mm. naming suspect on charge.
3: And so, was that and what's their reasoning for it? Is their reasoning that it's, it's some kind of invasion of privacy? Yeah, or what?
9: exactly that. It's the data protection right. uh, laws which uh, there's pressure coming from the Information Office Commission um, on the College of Policing yeah. Forces to be careful about information. And I mean, it's the balance of uh, privacy uh, of individuals mm. and the public's right to know. Now, personally, I want to know if there's a burglar or someone in my neighbourhood who's been charged with a load of burglars. I want to know if someone's been charged with a child sex offence or, you know, to put it in my uh, natural vernacular, if you've got a nonce on the Mm. manor. uh, I think that's important um, uh, for the public to know about. Right, because, of course, the other problem for this is that quite
3: often many of these cases would take so long to get to court um, that the charge would happen... You perhaps wouldn't get the name, mm-hmm. and then nobody would know that this person uh, was was being charged with anything until the, the court case, which might never happen.
9: Well, this is it. Um,
3: I, mean, I mean, what if they
9: what if they plead and, and somehow don't go to court? Then does it yeah. never come out? Um, well, this is this is this, the whole point. Is once someone's appeared actually appeared in court, then the names will be available. So it's only the police not naming. But the point is really that. Up and down the country, there are an awful lot of courts and local papers, yeah. are, unfortunately, are dying in their droves. Right. You don't get the local court reports anymore, this, do you? This is it. So we haven't got enough time to or resources in the media to, to watch those mm. courts for those important cases. Yes, And we rely very much on the police and the CPS right. to tell us when important th- stories are happening. There was one um, day before yesterday, actually, um, where a group of men who were charged with the most... Ex- unimaginable crimes where they've been chopping parts of each other's bodies off mm. for sexual pleasure, all appeared in court right. before the police had even mentioned it. So, really? Yeah, so we weren't... And so even you though, wouldn't be even aware of the case then in that case? I was aware of the case. I broke I the story uh, last year. Right. Um, but they still didn't keep us in touch with it mm. So and still didn't notify us yes. until after these it's men had appeared It's a kind of creeping
3: court. sense that they, they don't wish to cooperate any longer with...
9: Newspapers, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, they're they're trying to balance it. So, I mean, you can go to... I mean, I can see that one side of the the argument, something like Christopher Jeffries, you remember the case, Joe Yates, uh, where he was named after he was arrested, and a lot of... he was hounded, in effect, Mm. and there was a lot of pressure on him uh, put by media. There was an insatiable demand for that. Now, that is sort of one extreme, Mm. but... Um, so but that came as a result of them giving the name out, right? Uh, it came as a result of confirming the name. Yeah. So yeah, things have moved on from there. Yeah. But but we're now going too far uh, in the the pendulum swing too mm. far the the other direction. Yeah. Because I, what it will
3: also mean if it was to go through is that there will be some people, i.e., those in the police and maybe in the in the justice system who know names of people, but the rest of us aren't allowed to. Exactly. Exactly. Which that. can't be right, can it?
9: Exactly that. And it will be up to individual officers, police officers whether they decide to inform the public, they ha- may have something of the most utmost public mm. interest, uh, importance, uh, about the sexual offender, as I say, or someone that was a, a prolific uh, thief mm. or burglar um, on a local level. I, I, I did a story recently on David Carrick, uh, who was the police officer, firearms officer, yeah. who raped uh, 13 women. Right. Um, now, one of those, the first women to, woman to come forward... Um, as a result of her coming forward and the police charging him in relation to the offences against her, um, 12 other women came mm. forward. Right. Now, that first woman, the first victim, it, it never uh, it actually laid on file because he never actually admitted it. Right. So if, if you imagine for a moment that Hertfordshire Police hadn't named Carrick in mm. relation to uh, the charge against that woman, um, He'd still be walking that would, around, wouldn't he? He would still be doing it. Yeah. Exactly, exactly that. So it, these are really important issues, yes. um, which we can't... And the College know.
3: of Policing are quoted today as saying that they're kind of possibly um, pausing this decision, uh, maybe as a result of the, the, the piece that you wrote in the sun th- yesterday. I think
9: so. They've probably been a bit stung, not by just us, but um, in the sun there's, there's been an a uproar in, in uh, amongst the media yeah. uh, since these sort of planned to become known and... Um, a number of articles have appeared in different newspapers. Mm. Um, so they've now—it's certainly not a climb down, um, but they're—they're they're, going to be taking on board people's opinions, yeah. and there will be consultations with the media, uh, information officers, commission. Mm. Um, so, uh, I mean, it is a we'll good see. thing that that you're standing up against these
3: these kinds of decisions because it does seem as though the police at the moment. I don't know whether they feel embattled, but whether they kind of yeah. uh, are being very defensive about everything. You know, obviously the Met Police report that came out yeah. the other day, Baroness Casey's report, mustn't put them in a good light. And I think up and down the country, police officers
9: and police yeah, and forces are in a bit of trouble, aren't they? They are in the trouble. I mean, you've seen what happened up in uh, Lancashire, um, where they've got a battering up there as mm. well. And um, I actually have you know, great sympathy for uh, police officers who do some police officers who go out and do the job. They're there to serve members of the public. Um, they're not there to you know, abuse and mm. and bully, and it's a slight. I'm, yeah, there's and an they ar- have to do what they're instructed to do, I guess. Of right? course, of course they do. Yeah, they go they go through. So yes, it possibly a bit of a backlash around the attacks. I suppose you perceived attacks mm. on the police. I mean the um there the Baroness Casey review uh, from earlier this week, which was scathing about mm. the Met. They interviewed seven or surveyed seven thousand Met officers. And those met officers were asked, "You know, why is it that people have got a, p- a poor opinion of of police at the moment, or mm. poorer? Ninety-three um, percent of them blame the media. Yeah. So it's it's blaming the messenger. Yeah. Uh, unfortunately. Well, I mean, unfortunately, the media gets blamed for pretty much everything. Exactly. That is the
3: tragedy. Exactly. Today, you've got a piece in talking of the police um, uh, in the Sun, uh, where basically um, a police horse is attacked by a Terribly out of control dog. Yeah, it's a horrific right. looking set of pictures.
9: Yeah, it was. Yeah, and really nasty. I mean, it's on the uh, video. It's on the. You can see that on the uh, Sun's website. Yeah. Uh, but it's a horrific attack. It went on for about five minutes. Mm. I mean, what, and the
3: owner of the dog just standing there
9: watching it. Yeah, seemingly. I mean, he was fr- too frightened, seemingly, to get him go and grab him by the scr- her the dog, female yeah. dog, by the scruff of the neck. But this is an American bully dog. Yeah, it's a crossbreed. It's even more vicious than mm. the pit bulls. Um, they've been blamed so far for a couple of deaths Mm. up and down the country. So there's an issue there as well about whether we should be even allowing dogs like this to be wandering around in parks. um, And it'll end up being... Yeah, and it ends up being
3: a a situation where they'll say, well, you can't
9: let any dog off a lead. Well, yeah, which is nonsensical, isn't it, as well? And And that's the trouble. Yeah, tying all those dogs by the same brush. Yeah,
3: right. So as far as the College of Policing is concerned... um, Yesterday it looked like they were going ahead with it. Today they might be pausing. What's your, what's your hope that, that they'll reconsider?
9: I, yeah, I, I don't see why things should change. I mean, in effect, um, they can leave the advice as it is. If the police have got a jolly good reason not to issue charge details, such as a threat to life mm. or national security, fair enough. Right. But in every other sense, they should be releasing... And then the sensible thing would be to then tell guys like yourself so that you go, "Okay, well, that's fair enough, then we won't look any further. Exactly. But there's this perception of it. So Mm. Dalian Atkinson, um, the um, ex-footballer who was um, killed by police officers while he was under in custody, uh, or a police officer was convicted, I stress, one police officer. But when that police officer was first charged, he and a colleague... Um, the police didn't even release the details of that charge. It Mm -hmm. meant that the media missed the actual uh, first court case and and we couldn't name him. So... Um, now, it, that has got a poor perception. And really. that's obviously p- deliberately done, right? Well, wonder, guy. yes. Yeah. It's, they're protecting the police officer, one mm. of whom was eventually convicted yeah. of killing him. And they shouldn't even be allowed to do that. They shouldn't because even they be they in shouldn't. the possible remit of the police. course shouldn't. It? It's Absolutely. Well, my, just, justice has got to be... You know, not only must be done, but it must be seen yeah. to be done. That is an established right. legal tenet. And a dangerous way years. to go
3: for any sort of official
9: organisation, whether it's police or parliament or
3: anything, is to kind of try and keep newspapers... You know, they might not like newspapers. A lot of people don't. A lot of people yeah. don't like journalists. But we're yeah. not here to be liked.
9: The point exactly. is, you're here to do
3: a job. You <laughs> yeah. know, sorry, you don't like it, but you know, we yeah. don't trust you to do it on your own without letting anybody else know.
9: Yeah, uh, you, you put it bang on the money. Yeah, the
3: Mike Sullivan, thank you very much okay. indeed. Uh, we'll have more for you coming up. Uh, we'll take some phone calls, and also I'm going to tell you about some barristers who apparently don't want to practice law because it might upset them. Planks. This is Talk TV. <laughs>
0: Times Radio sponsors Talk TV Weather.
2: Fast Talk. Street Talk. Mike Graham. Fighting the good fight with all his might. Providing a welcome dose of common sense for the common people. Solid Talk. Hot Talk. The independent republic of Mike Graham.
1: On the app, on your smart speaker, Talk Radio and Talk TV.
3: Welcome back to the Independent Republican. Mike Graham, right here on Talk TV. The sky is blue. Uh, it's a Friday. There's a big weekend coming up. Lots going on. Uh, hopefully, uh, you've got some plans. Hopefully, the weather will stay reasonably spring like, which is what it is at the moment. Uh, we've had a pretty Fancy two hours already. Uh, final hour of the show is going to include many of your calls, of course, but keep them coming. 0344 499 We think we may have solved uh, the mystery of the ring doorbell mis- uh, a sort of ghost. It seems that you can block the ring doorbell camera by simply buying a device which enables you to cut out the Wi-Fi and then nobody sees you going up to the door and putting anything through the door or even possibly walking through the door. Uh, so that's an interesting uh, point already. Uh, we'll be talking some more about what's going on in France. Uh, King Charles has cancelled his visit, postponed it for a later date because of all the trouble that's going on there. They were due to go uh, with Camilla out there on Tuesday. That's now not happening. Coming up in this show, we're going to talk about boxing because boxing is right in the news at the moment uh, because of the Tyson Fury um, mix-up where the fight that he was about to have uh, with Yusik after six months of talks with the Ukrainian 36-year-old, uh, it's all off. Uh, it's all been cancelled. But we want to talk a bit more uh, than just boxing. We want to talk with Gareth A. Davis, uh, boxing correspondent of The Telegraph and Talk Sport of course, as well, uh, our sister station here uh, in Talk Towers, because uh, Gareth knows An awful lot about boxing, but he also knows an awful lot about the world. And boxing remains, for me, uh, one of the only sports really left, which has been unwokeified, which has carried on being as it always was. Um, There's lots to discuss. We're going to be hearing from Simon Jordan and Eddie Hearn as well, who had a big debate about a particular fight just a little while ago here uh, at TalkSport. But let's say a very good afternoon to Gareth A. Davis. It's, It's probably not good enough to pronounce you as a boxing correspondent. Boxing guru, Gareth, I think
0: I'm going to call you. Well, that's very kind of you, Mike. It's always great to be on the Independent (laughs) Republic of Mike Graham anyway. Yes,
3: not at all. Tell us, first of all, I mean, there's there's Tyson Fury on the back page of The Sun this morning. He's not happy about the fact that this big fight, massive fight has been cancelled. What's this all about for a start?
0: Well, the first word is money. Hmm. uh, And then the second word is ego. uh, And the third two words are because, or three words, because they can. Yes. Now, what's happened is, as you rightly say, this... uh, undisputed heavyweight championship of the world, the first one since Lennox Lewis and Evander Holyfield with all the belts on the line since the very late 90s. 25 years we've waited for all the belts. Hasn't been able to get across the line, scuppered at the 11th hour because Fury wanted a 70-30 split to have it in the UK at Wembley Stadium on April the 29th. And Alexander Usyk, um, who his... Management team revealed only yesterday would have earned a third of what he earned uh, against Anthony Joshua in Saudi Arabia uh, Mm. about eight months ago. Um, About nine million um, he earned then and he he was only going to earn, sorry, he would have earned nine million in April. He earned around 25 million, we believe, against Anthony Joshua. He wanted a rematch clause. And he wanted a 70-30 split for the winner in the rematch clause. Tyson Fury didn't want a rematch clause. Tyson Fury is the WBC champion. The WBC wouldn't agree for the belt to be on the line again until the end of the year. Mike, it's a right royal mess. And one of the reasons, like you say, it's a very primeval sport, Mm. boxing. It's very visceral. But it's also, when it comes to big money, it's it's quite ungovernable at times. There's no world sanctioning body demanding that the two best boxers in the world, in their prime, undefeated as they are, um, have to fight each other. Mm. It comes down to promoters, managers and the fighters, both of whom here are very, very wealthy already, um, deciding that the conditions aren't right for them. U6 walked away one way and Fury's walked away the other, but the punters... The sports have not got what they wanted in this scenario. Right,
3: and if you have bought a ticket for it, I don't know if they had even been put on sale. Or no, they won't. Um, so, so there's no there's no damage to, to, to that particular situation, but it happens sometimes, doesn't it, where um, it's a pay-per-view, people have bought tickets for things already, and they do seem to just sort of have not a care in the world uh, for the boxing boards of control, because there are so many different ones, there are so many different aspects around the world. I mean, I was listening to Connor Ben uh, when he was interviewed by Piers Morgan a few, uh, a couple of weeks ago, um, and he's also the subject of some some controversy but he was basically saying it doesn't matter to me if they ban me from boxing in this country, I'll just have my fights outside of it.
0: Well that's a completely different case altogether, I mean he has tested positive uh, twice for clomiphene a performance enhancing drug in his system, uh, once under the WBC Cares programme which you have to do with the World Boxing Council to be in their top 15 world rankings and right. um, but also he tested positive under a voluntary anti-doping association test going into his fight with Chris Eubank Jr. last October, um, with, with it revealed in a newspaper article three days before they were about to get into the ring um, that nothing had been done about it in the background, mm. um, and therefore the Boxing Border of Control uh, said they wouldn't sanction the fight. Six months later, there still hasn't been a hearing other than him going uh, with the Boxing Board of Control, other than him going to the WBC in a non-strict liability sense to try and prove mm. his case. And he said the testing system is wrong. Yes. And he's, there
3: has to, yeah. God, I know, I was going to say, we've got a little clip here of Eddie Hearn and Simon Jordan having a bit of a punch-up about this It's uh, this issue itself uh, on uh, the Talk Sports um, show, the Jim White show, the White and Jordan show. Let's have a listen.
7: You are looking at hypocrisy, but you how? talk like you're some kind of business expert. We know how that went for no, you.
6: No, 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 no. No. In order to lose a lot of money, you'd have to make it in the first place. So, and if you're telling me if, so I'm a, to make so 100 million quid... It's a marathon, not a to spin, make quids, mate, mate. To make 100 but million but quid. To make a 100 million quid out one business in five years. No, I didn't. Yes, you did. No, you, you, you went bankrupt. No, I didn't. Uh, what, don't, what, Crystal Palace or, or, Football Club. Don't be stupid. Crystal Palace no, Football Club. Don't be stupid, Eddie. I didn't go bankrupt at all. Crystal no, Palace and, Football Club. And don't say silly things that can get you into trouble because I didn't go bankrupt at all. In that case, I apologise. What I did was, like everybody else that has challenges in life... No, no, no. What I did was, as the biggest creditor... Because of the biggest banking crisis in the world, I took a view that I could no longer fund it anymore, put it into administration and wrote off 50 million quid on the basis okay. of the fact okay. that I made 100 million quid. So get your facts I right. I apologise. You right? took the club so into, no, into administration. No, I didn't take it into administration. A, sec- a secured creditor put it in there okay. and I had to take my okay. medicine, which I've never complained about. No? and I've never bitched my mind but, about it. But, I've never gone you... about the fighters that ran off of me and I invested in them and started crying about it. Well, you I cried about anything. No, but no, no.
7: No, no I but, but also.
6: Never cried about anything. But you sit there and you don't acknowledge any side of business. What I'm saying to you,
3: because you don't acknowledge the situation. Eddie Hearn there and uh, Simon Jordan having a real dust-up. Um, they actually had a proper dust-up, which we'll get to as well. Sorry, Gareth, about the, uh, the Cotton Bend situation. Um, but, I mean, tempers run very high in this business, don't they? I mean, how many times have you been to weigh-ins where practically fights break out? Um, you know, the, 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 the contenders themselves sometimes get into shoving matches. I mean, it's, it's an incredibly... I mean, I'm, I suppose I'm asking you, how has it managed to stay this kind of unwoke for so long?
0: Um, well, because it is, as I say, it's, it's the primeval sport uh, in the world. It's the toughest sport. It's a fight. And, you know, um, there's been competition with hands and feet and wrestling, um, kicking and punching and, and, and wrestling since the ancient Greeks. Mm. It was called Pankration. And I think it's, it's if, you, if you shout, fight, fight, fight in the playground. Uh, a crowd gathers, right. don't they? It's it's one of those things in life. People rubberneck um, these kind of situations, and obviously, pugilism, prize fighting, um, is a, is a defined art. I think, I think competition and contrition um, and, and 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 rivalry have always been there in the sport. And I think we saw that with with Simon Jordan and Eddie Hearn there. I think, you know, Simon Jordan has taken issue publicly for for a number of Uh, years really I think with Eddie Hearn's um, ability to get into issues in the sport and then get out of them the Conor Ben one is is as I was saying and and I think it was that wasn't the discussion there it was more a Hearn attacking um, Jordan and and Jordan putting him right that Crystal Palace went into administration it wasn't Jordan didn't go bankrupt but um, on that show as well they talked about um, Connor Ben not yet going in front of the Boxing Border Control, and yet Hearn talking about taking Ben to another jurisdiction to still have this fight potentially with Chris Eubank uh, six months later, with nothing having really been done other than uh, a hearing with a sanctioning body, um, the World Boxing mm. Council, not a. Not a licensing authority. There's loads of loopholes in boxing. And you have to remember as
3: well, I mean, you you said this before, Gareth, when you and I, because you and I have been talking about this for quite a few years. I I don't want to say quite how many, but a long time. And, you know, at the the end of it all, you know, somebody can get very badly injured. And if fights are, are sanctioned, which shouldn't be sanctioned, and if fighters are taking drugs, whether knowingly or not, which are improving their performance, it's not like running faster. It's like punching somebody harder in the head, isn't
0: it? Absolutely right, I mean, you must always remember that that 's that you know like you said, you put the cradle underneath this that boxing or any fight sport, any professional fight sport, even the amateur uh, boxing um, amateur mixed martial arts, for example, they are all inherently dangerous, mm. um, and therefore, when you certainly in the professional uh, field in this professional milieu, you have to have a drug testing system, you can be legally killed in the ring or in the cage when you sign a contract to fight. Therefore, you need to be able to uphold the testing policies on performance-enhancing drugs, because you should not be able to enhance your body and go in against someone else. And that's why this case with Conor ben Nettie hearn it's bigger than these two guys, a promoter and a fighter. It, it, It calls the whole testing system... Uh, into jeopardy. You have to have a testing system. It's so, so important. Yes,
3: and you have to be able to trust the testing system. and You have to be able to trust, surely, that if you cannot fight in one jurisdiction, you shouldn't really be able to just jump the fight to another one and get around the rules because of that.
0: Absolutely, and and, and I think it's, you know, if we go back to Tyson Fury and, and Alexander Usyk, if you go back to... Um, any of these situations to, 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 uh, to look at it in an overarching sense. Boxing doesn't have a world governing body. So there's no demand on the best must fight the best. It's down to a business negotiation. It's a sport, but it's very much a business, like all sports mm. are today. They are huge entertainment businesses. But there, there are loopholes in the sport that can be um, exploited by very, very good lawyers. And I think there's a loophole that's been exploited here for Conor Ben. He hasn't proved his innocence yet, even though he proclaims his innocence, in a strict liability sense. And that's what there would be if he went in front of the Boxing Board of Control. It's going to be very odd if he does fight Chris Eubank or Manny Pacquiao or Cal Brook, as is being spoken about Mm. in June, in the UAE or in the Middle East um, or in America, under a different licensing authority, having not cleared his name with the boxing board of control yes,
3: it will be very odd we've got another clip from uh, simon jordan and um uh, eddie hearn let's have another listen
8: hmm. you
3: called eddie a
8: coward yep. it wasn't a comment that went down too well with eddie and his people why did you make that observation
6: because he was a coward not a coward in character, but a coward in his behaviour. There's a vast difference between the two, and I've qualified on a number of occasions. If he wants to take offence, he should get over it. He's a big boy, apparently. And if you're a big boy and you don't like something that someone says about you, you do two things. You either issue a writ against them for defamation, or you come and debate them and put them in a place. You didn't either because you couldn't, and you ducked it and you did it with other people. But the reasons why I said it is because he's got plenty to say for himself. He is the archetypal walking, talking, singing canary when it suits him. When it comes down to a situation where there's a scenario where he needs to put forward his best foot in a situation which is shrouded in inconsistencies, misrepresentations, a load of him by him, he should have done a damn sight better than do a press conference saying, I'm not going to say anything. And then goes off and flaps his gums about what he is and isn't going to do and then tells the world that the media misrepresented him. It's nonsense. Well, I mean, that's all about this situation,
3: isn't it, with Conor Ben? And where is that at the moment, exactly? Is there going to be a fight somewhere else?
0: Yeah, I think there will be. And and as I say, it's going to be, um, it's looking, Eddie Hearn has kind of announced that it may may be June, um, that Conor Ben is back in training. Um, But it doesn't seem ethically or morally right, as I say, given that (laughs) there hasn't been a hearing yet, even though he's been exonerated by the World Boxing Council, a sanctioning body, I, I, I repeat, not a licensing body. Yeah. Um, it just doesn't seem right. It will be a massive fight because it will be very controversial. Um, there will be many people there watching it, Mike. Um, there'll be... Um, many there'll be people, lots of money to be made. There'll be lot. Well, that's the point, of course. That's why it will go ahead. But also, there will be lots of people saying that it, this event would bring boxing into disrepute in some ways and, as we just said just now, would just throw under the bus the, the, the veracity of, of having a, mm. a testing system for performance-enhancing drugs in an inherently dangerous sport. Yeah,
3: and, of course, we've also had the kind of expansion, haven't we, of the sport? You uh, were one of the first people ever to bring uh, MMA, uh, the mixed martial arts sport, to this country um, with your associations with various different organisations. And also, uh, we now see the kind of YouTubers fighting, uh, as we saw just recently. Um, and that's obviously slightly off to the side, but but is that as well um policed, I suppose, and governed as it should be?
0: Well, I think there's um on, on the mixed martial arts front, um obviously we've got the UFC, Bellator, Professional Fighters League, MMA, as as they're all different leagues. Mm. So fighters are signed with those leagues as opposed to um boxing, having four world champions in each weight division. Um so The best fight, the best in those leagues, much sooner, much quicker. And young people are following that sport now and complaining that boxing doesn't put the best in against the best quickly enough, which is fine, but it's a different sport and a different algorithm. But boxing does need to learn from that. As regards YouTubers and influencers, it's not really boxing. Mm. It's white-collar celebrity um, boxing. That's what you have to call it. Yeah. With people like KSI, Logan Paul, these these huge, huge figures on YouTube for the young, they are the mainstream stars of today. Yeah. With forty five million followers, KSI is the biggest influencer um, in in the UK. And yes, he's got a deal with DAZN, the uh, over the top um, online uh, sports broadcasters, to have thirty fights over the next. Um, I think it's five years. Mm. Ten of those are going to be pay-per-view events. When they had the first pay-per-view event earlier this year, it did three hundred thousand pay-per-views buys. Mike, the audience was there from the very start to the very finish. But they need proper testing in it. There's loads of young people coming into that and doing that um, that sport. These hmm. influencers with millions of followers. It needs proper regulation. It needs. I think it needs to be looked at very carefully before someone gets hurt in that. But I'm not saying again. That it's not sports entertainment because it is for the people that the young people that follow them.
3: Absolutely right. And and finally, the next big fight is in London, I believe. Anthony Joshua, um, April the first next week. Um, I'm told that this is his last chance.
0: Well, he's got to win, really. Um, He's fighting Jermaine Franklin, um, who's only lost once to Dillian White, another British rival of Anthony Joshua's, who obviously fought. Tyson Fury uh, last uh, April um, at uh, Wembley Stadium uh, on a huge night for British boxing. Yeah, he's got to win, he's got to look good. He's been in Dallas training with a a, a coach called Derek James, who trains some very, very formidable fighters. Errol Spence, Jamel Charlo in America, they're, they're, they're great champions of the sports. Um, he's done what Marvin Hegler said, if you go into proper camp, you're going into prison. Mm. He's gone into prison over there. Um, Look, his his star has fallen in a sense. They're rebuilding. He's on a new broadcaster, Zone. Um, we're live on Talk Sports with the broadcast team, myself involved. Uh, next Saturday night, the red carpet event starts on Monday. Look, and if he wins, he'll probably call out Tyson Fury now because maybe Usyk is going to fight. In my view, maybe Deontay Wilder or maybe his mandatory Daniel Dubois, who's also promoted by Frank Warren. And if if Joshua looks impressive. Maybe he calls out Tyson Fury and maybe finally, after 30 months of teasing and talks collapsing twice already for that fight, we we never know. We might get Fury versus Joshua in the summer here at Wembley Stadium. It's a massive fight, a really big fight for the British public.
3: Yeah. Tremendous stuff. Listen, Gareth, great to talk to you. Thank you very much indeed. Gareth A. Davis, boxing correspondent, boxing guru uh, for The Telegraph here at Talk Sport, of course, as well. There's all sorts of things going on between now and then, of course, tonight. Uh, we'll be showing you something very interesting. we will be playing for the week from 7 o'clock. We'll play a little promo for that. Uh, coming up next, right here on Talk TV. Across the UK,
5: online and on DAB, the independent republic of Mike Graham on Talk Radio.
3: If you enjoyed that, be sure to catch the whole show 10 to 1, Monday to Friday on Talk Radio